You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. You're listening to the Rainy Day Podcast, the official podcast of the Ontario Rain, with your hosts, Cameron Close and Zach Dooley. Now, it's time to get in the pod. Hello, Zach. It's good to see you. The newlywed is uh, on the Rainy Day Podcast once again. How are you? Are you holding up while these fires are scary? I'll tell you. I am out in Ontario today. I know I just asked how are you, but I'm going to tell you how I am first. Uh, I drove out to Ontario today, and I could see three big pillars of smoke, and I could barely make out a little bit of orange flame. I could see them. It's a nightmare. I've been out here three years. This is definitely the worst that I've the worst that I've seen it. I know I sound a little different today. We'll talk about that in the second uh, segment after our guest. Uh, is it pretty bad down there? The the fire? Um, it's not overly you know noticeable down here. You know we've stayed indoors, but I've certainly seen some photos of friends who live you know in the the San Francisco area, and it's just orange which is, it's an incredible photo, obviously, you know, a very scary uh, thing that's going on, but it's it's certainly nothing that, like, I've ever seen. Those orange, like, it's like an orange haze, and it's it's something. It's certainly something. There was a red moon out the other night in Pasadena, and I, I could tweet that to you. It was weird. It was weird looking. It's bad in Pasadena. There's ember. Um, it's heavy smoke. It smells like a campfire. Um, you know, we're, we're thinking about everybody that's affected and the firefighters that are uh, running right in there and, 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 you know, they're heroes obviously. So um, hopefully we're past this. Hopefully the next time we talk to you, um, we've gotten through it a little bit, but again, we're, we're thinking about all you that are affected and, and definitely the the firefighters that are really, um, you know, in danger up there, get just running right into it. All right. So I want to talk about the, the AHL a little bit. Some news coming down, new affiliations, the Charlotte Checkers. They're still uh, red, black and white, but now maybe they'll change their colors. They're going to be the AHL affiliate of the Florida Panthers. You lose the team in your state, but you get one in Car- in uh, Florida, which isn't that far away. So that kind of makes sense. That's not that bad. Um, that was that was the big one that everybody everybody was waiting on. Seemed like it was funny. Today, when you know both teams tweeted it out at the same time, you had the Charlotte Checkers with the Florida Panthers. Also, Carolina, the former flame of the Checkers, goes with the Chicago Wolves, and it felt like two people who had just broken up trying to win the breakup, both trying to tweet out their new affiliate at the same time, trying to make it seem like they got the better deal with their new affiliate. It was kind of funny, like to see both go out, you know. At the same time, even though everyone knew that if the Checkers and Hurricanes weren't reaffiliating, that there was no other option than to do what you know happened earlier today. So the Wolves won't change their colors. They're not going to go red. They they don't change for everybody. They were in Brand- the entourage opening. Why would they possibly? Yeah, why would you? you no, know, they're they're pretty established up there. They've kind of got their own thing going on. So they're not they're not doing anything. Do you think the the Checkers change? I feel like they kind of have to change from red, white, and black. I don't know if they have to change their colors, but to wear the Hurricanes jerseys with a Panthers patch on the on the shoulders is a little bit weird. I think you can keep the colors loosely as long as you don't, you know, have Hurricanes jerseys. But the question will be, like, are they in too deep to change it for this year? You know, I mean, changing 
rebranding is not a, you know, it's not a snap of the fingers. It's it's almost a full year in advance. You kind of have to submit these things with all the stuff behind the scenes going on. I'm not sure if the impacted AHL season might almost play into their favor. With I this. think it does. Yeah, absolutely. They might, they might even have the time. But I know usually it's, I don't know if it's it's a 12-month process, but it's not, you know, it's not a month. It's, I feel like it's like, like a nine to 12 month thing to really like redo your primary jerseys. Yeah, I think they kind of have to. I feel like you're down the street from Carolina. Your jerseys are very similar to theirs. And now you're going with Florida. I think you have to at some point. Now, like you said, that takes some time. Um, but I think they're going to have that time. And if I'm them, I'm, I mean, you can keep the logo, you can keep the name. Everything else is going to stay the same, but just. Change we were the in, the, in the ECHL you now the year after you left Adirondack. You know, we were not affiliated with the Calgary Flames in Adirondack, but we had Calgary Flames jerseys for like a right. full year with a Devils affiliate. And it was maybe November of the of the 2017 that we had to, or December to get our stuff submitted for October 2018. Right, for, right. For a full rebrand. And, and you know, not taking anything away from the ECHL, but I'm going to guess that the Devils probably were like, well, whatever, that's the they least thing on our mind, last thing on our mind. Whereas with your AHL affiliate, you might care a bit more. So, yeah, sure. we'll just have to wait and see. We'll see what happens. Um, the other one, again, the Wolves, they get another affiliate. They used to have their longtime affiliation with Atlanta, and now they continue to kind of have a uh, a wagon wheel, so to Revolving speak. Revolving door. That's right. So we'll see what happens. The uh, the Springfield Thunderbirds are, are with the Blues. It baffles me that St. Louis hasn't figured out a way to have a team right next to them. Um, but, you know, Springfield pretty established, so that, that one kind of makes sense, too. We'll see if you never know what's going to change down the line. If somebody else is going to buy a team, go the Vegas route. It seems like that's where they're trending. You know, we, we get on this uh, from time to time. But that's your news. That's your AHL news for the day. Zach, you have something you want to talk about with goalies you mentioned to me before the show. So I've been watching the NHL, uh, as I'm sure most of our listeners have been. And what I've noticed as in contrast to most years, where in the playoffs you have one goalie, you have your one, and you have your backup. That's how it is for most teams. This year, three of the four teams in the conference finals have almost split time like they've had goalies by choice started two different goalies you know the lightning are the exception Vasilevsky's the guy but Vegas they've started Flurry and they've started Leonard Dallas they've started Kudobin and they've started Bishop and the Islanders have started Grice and Varlamov and a lot of times the saying is if you have if you have two goalies you don't have one but I feel like in a few of these teams' cases, they might not even be here if they didn't have two goalies and two goalies playing well. But you just you just don't really see it in the NHL. I've never heard that phrase, but I like it. I like I, that. I, a, yeah, more of a quarterback thing, right? If you have two quarterbacks, you have none, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah but I I changed it to goalies. Hope no one noticed. No, now they could have fooled them. me. Could have yeah. fooled me. Um, yeah, I go back and forth on this. I'm a traditional guy. You know that, Zach, about me. I like tradition for tradition's sake sometimes. So I'm used to having a single goalie, having him having him ride you out uh, for the whole playoffs, you know, expecting him to play every game. But I'm also of the mind that that position has gotten more and more skilled as years have gone by. More guys have played it. Um, if you look at the ECHL, um, it's not a bad thing if you're playing there as a goaltender. Some great goaltenders We'll need to play in the ECHL for a bit. Jordan Binnington played in the ECHL, right? Like these guys have to come up 
and uh, and progress. And there's only so many guys that can play. So I get it. I don't think it's a problem to have two goaltenders. But then when you look at the Vezina Trophy candidates, like those are the guys playing every game. There's a reason why Tampa Bay is so good. They have a dominant goaltender. Boston has a dominant goaltender who, you know, obviously he he left for his own reasons. But on a normal season, on a normal playoffs, he would have played every single game. So, you know, when the Kings won their cups, they had a dominant goaltender. And I think that that's such a big part of being successful that, you know, even if you have two great goaltenders, generally come playoff time, somebody is going to pull ahead. You know, if it's a neck and neck horse race, one of them is going to veer a little bit ahead. Speaking of that, we got to talk about our Kentucky Derby picks. I totally forgot about that. Mine was scratched. So I then mine yeah. doesn't count. <laughs> was yours uh, pretty bad? I forget. I think he was he was a mid tier. Ran mid, like was like seventh yeah. or eighth. Which, well, I'm gonna say mine was scratched and would have won had uh, had the yep. horse not been scratched. So we'll stick yeah, with that. Yeah. Thousand words, next race. Thousand, um, thousand words was a good horse. Now just 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 uh, it was you know had some had some issues in the in the paddock, but it was a good horse. Apparently, what do I know? Um, but I I think things are gonna level themselves out. Um, I mean. You're, you're right. You see these good teams playing with two goaltenders and it's working for them. But I do believe that the best teams and the best situation for a team is to have a guy be dominant. And I think, uh, you know, part of it's a mental game, too. You have to think if you're going out onto the ice against uh, Anders Vasilevsky, it's a bit mentally, you know, de- debilitating thinking like, oh, God, this guy, how on earth are we going to beat this guy? And he's so. and he's he's excellent. He's a top probably three goalie in the league. So maybe if you have a top three goalie, it's not a conversation, but I want, like if you have a, like a 10 to 20 goalie and your backup is maybe, you know, a 25 to 35 level goalie, like, is it worth having that backup play one to two games in a seven game series? Because maybe it makes the other guy fresher. Maybe he gets game three off and maybe he was gassed in game four. Now he's fully refreshing game four. I don't know. Is it like you talk about like pitchers and, it hasn't been done pretty much ever. Like you, you rarely see a team that will ride two goalies alternating or anything like that to a cup, but I, it's got to be some sort of an advantage, especially in this condensed format with more games and less days to be able to turn to two separate guys. And, you know, clearly it's working in some way because, you know, even you know, the Golden Knights, like Leonard and Fleury are both very good and they've both seen time and they've been very successful. Right. But when the Golden Knights went to the final, you know, they was, rode Flurry all the way there. The he whole brought way. them there. So, right. I, I, yeah, I, I go back and forth. I think if you have a situation with a back-to-back, I totally agree with you. You play that guy. Now, I'm going to say this at the sake of sounding like I'm not a professional hockey player, and I'm certainly not a professional hockey goalie. So if it's not a back-to-back, how fresh do you really need to be? Like, it's not you're not a pitcher throwing 100 pitches and you need to ice your arm because you literally can't pick up a penny off a table after you have a big start, right? So it's not that. You're playing a full game, but you're an athlete at the top of your peak physical condition in most cases. If you have a day off, how much more time do you really need as a goaltender? I would think that the top guys would want to play and would feel 100% and likely would be 100%. The top guys would tell you they're good to play every game because they're yeah. competitors. Because they want I to. guess it, right. But that's not an unbiased opinion. So I guess you'd, it's kind of like a sports science question, right? Like, yeah, yeah it really is. Be fresher playing six of seven games when three of those games go into OT. You know, it's, we, I don't know the answer to it. It's more of a hypothetical, 
but you do wonder like if if the goalie takes game four off is he better off five through seven than he would have been without that day off and there's no more back-to-backs i don't believe so that's not an issue but i am kind of curious to know like hey maybe that actually is a benefit and i don't know i guess it's it's probably a team-by-team decision but it's it interested me for sure It'll be interesting. There was an episode of the Hockey News that was the goalie issue this past season. It's a good magazine. If you're a hockey fan, you got to, you know, you got some uh, scratch laying around, a little extra pocket change. I would recommend a subscription. And we don't do free ads on here. So this is a um, this is just something I would recommend. It's a very good magazine. I somebody got me. I think I've talked about this before. Somebody got me Sports Illustrated as a gift once. And I finally had to tell him, like, hey, it. I really appreciate it because I knew they were going to renew it the next year. But I was like, you just got to get me the hockey news. Like, that's what I want. I don't need all this extra stuff. Just give me the hockey news. It's great. Like, and, and they'll do these stats once an issue. So sometimes it'll be fighting. Sometimes it'll be sticks breaking, slap shots, like different things. They did one on backup goaltenders versus goaltenders. And I, I actually have a few of the magazines right here, but I don't have the goalie issue. I gave it to someone to read because I thought it was so interesting. Uh, I got rid of it. So I, I wish I still had the picture, but it was basically showing timeline of having a single goalie play 70 games, how many goalies are playing 30 games, and it's amazing how much year over year it shoots up. So obviously that's the trend. Obviously that's the direction we're heading in. But um, I don't know. Sometimes things go so far, and then they have to uh, have a correction. It's like the stock market it goes all the way up, and then they have a correction, and they come back down. I think that's where the goalie thing will go, but we'll see. I mean, what do you're I know? right. In the regular season, it's trended that way for some time, but yeah. it, it always changed in the postseason, right? Like it was always the the number one was ridden unless it was, you know, a bit of a debate and the top guy didn't play well. But I feel like this is maybe the first year where two goalies have been started by choice without, you know, necessarily like a goalie playing poorly. So who knows right. if it will continue? Maybe this is a one-off considering everything about this that's a one-off, but so it, nonetheless, it's you know, something, something to talk about. Probably a good problem to have for most, most teams. So we'll go to our guest. I'm going to give you a little caveat emptor here. We did this one a little while ago. We had some problems with the audio. It gets way better after the first few minutes, after the first little bit. Um, so do yourself a favor. It's Derek army. Um, we were really happy that he was able to come on and give us Derek some of his, excuse me. I'm, I'm just, I, I wrote down Army on my sheet <laughs> because I wanted to make sure I didn't screw up which guests we were playing, and I just wrote Army. So it's Derek Armstrong. I'm sorry. And uh, it's uh, it's a great interview, but just get through a little bit of the audio issues um, at the beginning that we had with the phone, and, and, uh, and you'll really enjoy it. All right, let's go to that. Derek Armstrong is a well-known name in the L.A. Kings community, and he joins us now. Army, how you doing? Good, thanks for having me. Absolutely, we uh, we understand you're uh, taking advantage of a little beach weather here, but so thanks for um for coming off of it and joining us. We like to always open up with a question to get things moving. So I got a would you rather uh, for you? Sure. And Zach, sure. you'll be a you'll be a part of this as well. It's not it's not army specific. So would you rather have to from now on? Um, anytime you want to text or email or send any correspondence on your phone, you can't type it. You got to use the talk to text, whether you're in public, whether you're, it's a moment of silence, whatever you're, you're talking to text. You're never typing out a text again for the rest of your life or for the rest of your life. You're only flying on middle seats 
anytime there's a car ride and you're not the driver, you're sitting in the back middle seat. Even if there's only two guys in the car, a train, you're going to have the worst seat in the house. So any travel is now miserable for you. Which one are you taking? Uh, that's a pretty tough question for me because I get car sick and I don't like middle seats. And I'm not on my phone very often. I'm on social media, so I'm not sure. I love the talking, and I like to hear my voice. Uh, obviously, you guys know I love myself and I love to hear my voice. So I'll, I'll go with the talking. Uh, you know, the middle seat, that's got to be miserable. I, you know, I do, a lot of, I do a lot of work for the Kings all around the world and traveling and teaching hockey schools and going to great sports. So I appreciate them giving me this opportunity and this job. But... I think I'll go with the talking. I'm not embarrassed for that. How about you, Zach? That's a tough one. I I think I'd take the middle seat because of the amount of texts and emails, like just for work alone that I have to send. Like, I think, Cam, we had a, something like this where you you said that anything with a cell phone you thought was like a short-term play. Like you think cell phones might become outdated. Um, but I think that the way this is posed, I think that the cell phone thing, I think any kind of communication is going to have to be talk to text. I don't think I could do that for the rest of my life, so I'm just going to take the middle seats. Yeah, I'm talking to text, too. Uh, I'm not dealing with that when I'm flying. I'm from Boston. Yeah. My wife's from Michigan. I'm traveling for the rest of my life quite a bit, so I am not exactly. sitting I'm, in middle seats. And I'm, never on my, I'm not on my phone that much anyway, so I'm kind of old school. I send smoke signals, so it works out perfect. There you go. Excellent. Yeah, now you have an excuse not to text. Well, um, let's get I can back. throw the phone out. Um, I, you know, I want to talk about, about your playing career a bit because you had kind of an interesting road until you became to becoming a full-time NHL guy. You were, you know, in professional hockey for, for a decade between stints in the NHL, the IHL, the AHL, and, to, and even in Europe until you stuck with the Kings. What do you think took you so long to get that? that sweet spot that finally just uh just obviously worked out very successfully for you yeah i always I, my world was always hard you know even when i went back to the ohl level i i got drafted at 16 and then i got cut when i was 17 to be honest with you in the ohl and then i was a 22nd round draft pick so my journey always been hard work and never given easy to me i got dropped the 22nd round last pick in the ohl draft i went at 17 had a really good camp and they ended up cutting me there they had a lot of first rounders and then 18, 19, I, you know, I always use that as kind of fuel is, you know, I wasn't a first rounder. I wasn't a high drop pick, but I really did love this great sport. And I think perseverance over time. I think the biggest thing about me was I was always a pretty smart player and a smart and a hard worker. But when I got to the NHL level, it was tough for me to get the separation because my skating wasn't super great. So I could always kind of outthink everybody and, you know, I'll compete everybody at, you know, in the minors and in the, in the OHL. I could, Use my ability to think and, and out compete and, and get there. But once you get to the highest levels, I mean, they have everything. They're smart. They can compete. They're incredible skaters. So I think the biggest thing for me was, you know, to get that separation, you know, from an Adam Foot or from a Nick Lindstrom or Chris Chelios or any of those type of guys to be a scorer. So like, and I, and I was so stubborn in my mind because it's, it's so hard to score your whole entire life. And then you get to the NHL and you're like, how come I can't score at this level? You know, if you watch a guy like Osaki or Luke or, you know, Wayne Gretzky, who I all played with, and you're like, you know, maybe I get to figure out a different path to get there. So, you know, I, you know, got better on faceoffs and learned how to fight a little bit and, you know, be more of a third and fourth line guy. But I think the biggest thing overall is just I, I couldn't get my separation through my skating. And, you know, my mind was always a little more clever than everybody else. But the NHL, everyone's kind of got that 
that mind and everyone's the best of the best. So it took me a little while to find my niche, but you know, I got I got a chance in the LA Kings and, and I'm very fortunate you know, I try to take advantage of it and try to and was ready anytime I got that call. So Army, you had a hundred points in the OHL and hundred points in the AHL. But like you said, you know, there's there's only six top six forwards on an AHL team, right? So not everyone, you know, can be a top six guy in the NHL and your situation is almost kind of applicable to how the Kings are shaped up now. There's a lot of young players who are used to being scorers who are going to have to find a different role when they get to the NHL. So how did you kind of come to grips with the fact that, okay, like maybe I'm not going to be a number one center, but I could be, you know, I could have a nice NHL career by, by learning to do different things. Well, yeah, it was, it was really hard. You know, it's my whole life. I like to score. And even in tier two, I played tier two ballpark. There was my coach in Hawksbury Hawks and, I scored, I scored that level when I was 16 and I just always scored. So it's, you know, I was always a pretty smart player and, and, and like playing at both ends of my ice because I always usually had a goal score with me. So if I get to the puck, they'd score. But I always, I always enjoyed both games, but I really loved to score. You know, I went, I think one thing that helped me a lot was uh, the one year after I won the AHL MVP, I, I kind of had a little bit of enough in the AHL because I knew in my heart I could play in the AHL, just had to try to figure out a path to get there. So I went and played in Switzerland in, in uh, in Switzerland, and I think that really helped my skating a lot because I ended up being on the big ice. I remember the first, you know, two weeks of practice in Switzerland. I honestly, God, I thought I was in the wrong league because it was so fast. You got all these little guys, and they could fly around 100 miles an hour. And so, I, and practice was like an hour and a half a day, and all they did was skate, 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 skate. So, I think that might have helped me all the way over there when I was 28. So, I think that helped me a lot. Of, you know, my feelings because I was think everybody. And, go to places where nobody was, but you know, I just didn't have that separation I got there. So I think when I went to Europe, it forced me to move my feet a lot more. And then, and as I went through my journey in that, I think that helped me a lot. But it's, it's not easy. You know, everything, every kid in the world wants to score goals and get points, and especially when you're really good at it. It's it's hard on the ego, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to change your game, especially, you know, when you have those habits when you're 29 years old. You had a good stint in both the IHL and the AHL. The IHL eventually obviously was absorbed by the AHL, but for a while there, they were pretty competitive. Um, and, you know, the IHL was trying to become a, uh, uh, independent. a prominent league. Yeah. Yeah. It, they, it was independent, but it, what was, what, what, what were the similarities and differences of, of playing in those leagues at, at, at the height of them? So the IHL in the early nineties, the mid nineties, it, it still had some credence until it eventually got absorbed. And I think it was 2000, 2001 by the AHL. What was the difference between playing in the IHL, playing in the AHL? Were, were there big differences? Did you like being in one of them better than the other? Yeah, I, I liked them both. You know, my, I was lucky in the IHL my first two years. I got the Zygmunt Pelfi, me and Zygmunt Pelfi, who's probably, you know, top three players I've ever played in my life. But we, we both came through the same swing. So my first year I got to play with Ziggy. I was only 20 and he was 21. So we got to play together and we were both, you know, we had a lot of first rounders on our team and I played in Salt Lake and Ziggy didn't speak much English. So we became friends right off the bat. And I think that helped us early in the IHL. I had a really good hockey player with me. We were kind of both figuring our way, you know, to be professional hockey in North America. But along the lines of the league is, you know, the AHL is much more of a grind. It was, you know, back then it was, it was still a pretty tough league and, you know, a lot of hooking, a lot of holding, a lot of going on net and getting, hacked and whacked and cross-checked and, and getting beat up. Or, or the IHL was kind of like, you know, the older guys of the AHL that, that couldn't get paid anymore in the AHL. So the IHL was paying, you know, back then, you know, $100,000 for older guys to play. So 
it was a little more freewheeling and, you know, guys didn't want to play as much traffic, but it was much closer to the NHL and IQ because there's a lot of high end older guys, you know, 28 to 35 were, you know, couldn't play in the NHL, had a couple flaws in the game, but to play at that league, like, like, you know, I remember Jeff Brown, I mean, Rob Brown came down there. He was unbelievable. Yannick Perot. I mean, those guys are really good, really good guys. They're smart and intelligent. They just didn't have some of the game that became ultimately really good players. So I think it was a little bit smarter game and more offensive game in the IHL. And then the AHL was, was still a grind. You, you go to the net, you're getting a cross check in the face or you beat a guy wide. He was two in hand in you. So it, it was a much more physical and, you know, game in the AHL and the IHL was much more, you know, freewheeling, kind of like how Brazil plays soccer, you know, freewheeling and like to score and smart defenseman that would keep you the outside, but it, it wasn't as physical. So were you the guy cross-checking guys in the face or getting cross-checked? I wasn't, you know, I, I was, yeah, you know, in the NHL, I kind of had to turn my role to, you know, be more of a, I mean, Ian LaPerrier is another perfect example. You know, he was a 140 goal scorer, 140 point guy in, in the Quebec League, you know, we always, you know, I was a physical guy in the NHL. I wasn't by no means very tough, but I, I just like to compete. You know, I, I like to stick up for my teammates. I, I always like to go to the dirty areas. I think that's where I scored most of my goals in junior. And it was, you know, I didn't have a great shot. So I, I scored a lot of my goals in traffic. So I always kind of like to go to the net. And, you know, I, I, as your role progresses and as you, you try to find a role in the NHL team, you, your game's got it. So I became, you know, much more of a physical guy when I played in the NHL. But most of those years, I and mean, guys were up to get me all the time. So, you know, I chirped a lot on the ice and competed as hard as I could. You know, and, and had pretty good hands. So, through my whole career, that's why it was such a change in the NHL. My whole life, everyone was, you know, I was the, I was the big gun on every team I ever played on. And then you get to the NHL, you're like, oh my God, I got, got to take a back seat. So, you know, I, I really enjoyed all my levels of hockey. I got to play for 17 years. NHL was definitely a big part of my life. But before that, I I, mean, I, I love to score and I love to play. And, you know, I had some amazing teammates along the way as well. You're in Switzerland uh, with, with Bern. Were there any, any of those, like you always hear these stories of players who go to Europe. A lot of times they're in Russia where you hear some, some crazy situations, not as much in Switzerland, but did you have any of those weird, like culture shock moments as you, you know, went from playing in North America to playing in Europe? I did, you know, I, I before LA I had a little bit of, you know, all, all people who score goals are a little bit, you have to be a little bit strong-willed and, and a little bit of arrogance to, you know, because it's hard to score goals. Everybody every night's trying to shut you down. So uh, the first, I'll tell you a family one and I'll tell you uh, a, a one on the ice. Uh, the first one, we, me and my wife and my uh, young Dawson, who's 20 now, was, was two years old. So they came over. I was over there for a month and myself trying to figure it out. Uh, when I first got there, I had come and then I, I didn't know what was going on. I, they picked me up in, in uh, uh, what's the capital? They picked me up in uh, whatever the capital is that you fly into. So they picked me up. I come from the H. I didn't. I honestly got. I didn't even didn't even know anything about the Swiss Swiss league. I'd never even heard of it. I wanted to play in the NHL. That was all of it. But this was this opportunity came up. So they picked me up, took me in a cab ride. They bring me in this middle of nowhere, you know, and they they dropped me off in this this army bunker. So this is the first time I ever met these guys in an army bunker. And so we're sitting in this army bunker, you know, I just, I just had led the age on scoring. It was a pretty good player besides being in the NHL. I was probably one of the better players outside the NHL. I show up in this army bunker and you know how people, you know, they love to test you and, and people probably like these stories. So we have a little bit of crazy to us when we need to. So it's army bunker. They're all playing. So 
I'm like, where am I? I have no clue where this is. So we come out. There's a little bar. There's a little bar there, and I you know we're doing some team building. We're playing this game called Banash. We're playing this team game called this Banash. It's, you got to count to seven, and either seven or, or a number of seven, like seven, twenty-one, fourteen, whatever. And these guys are having a few beers, so this is how they're welcoming me in imports. They're having a couple beers. It's the middle of the Swiss Alps. A couple beers, and this big guy, like six-three, Andre Bowman, probably one of the nicest guys you ever met. But at the time, I did not think so. So you walk into the Swiss, Swiss Alps, nobody's speaking English. They're all just testing me. So I walk in playing this game, but I'm, I'm, I'm not very good at math, to be honest, or reading or writing, but <laughs> I found a way to survive. I just found out I'm dyslexic. So I found a way to, to survive. They're doing, I'm not very good. And this, this big guy's kind of just game facing me, you know, and I'm like, you, you know, as Canadians, we get backed up. We're going to fight back. So we're, we're sitting there there and all of a sudden we go to bed that night. I'm like, why is, what's this guy doing? You know, what does he know what he's getting to? In my mind, so I'm like, what are these guys doing? I just met these guys who are trying to challenge me. So we go in this bomb shelter that night. I'm like, I still don't know where I am. So I wake up in the morning at 6 a.m. All of a sudden, they say, let's go. They start banging pots. We get it. I'm like, what's going on? So we climb into the Swiss Alps, into the Swiss Alps. We come to the other side, and we walk in this little community. And it's Italy. There's this big lake in Italy. All these people are having siesta on the mountain. I'm like, what is going on? Am I not here to play hockey? Like, this is like holidays for these people so we go in and talk about our team building but when we got in the city that night the same guy the same guy it was their team building weekend which i found out you know two weeks later but i didn't know what's going on so the same guy and this still guy this guy andre bowman is still looking at me i'm in a foreign country i don't know one person i don't know anyone on the team you know they paid me some good money to come in and, and, and play on this team he's still boom 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 that night we're in the we're in the corridor in the middle of this Italian city, beautiful. They have all the gondolas going by the bar, the restaurants we're eating. I mean, it's just it's a really beautiful place. Something I'd never seen in my lifetime. And there's all these outside bars and restaurants hanging out and drinking coffee or some and he's still game facing. All of a sudden he says something to me. I stand up, I run across two tables and I grab by the throat and I said, I'm here now. Stop looking at me like that. Boom. And from that day on I ended up <laughs> Being a cap, being a captain and, and leading that team in scoring. So that was a, you know, it's, you know, you got to stick up for yourself once in a while, but they, they had never seen someone like that. And it was a pretty, pretty weird experience for me. But after that, you know, after I set the table straight the first weekend, it, it became awesome. I had a Swedish guy named Patrick Eileen with me. He was really good goal scorer. And that helped me a lot because he could, he wasn't very smart and he could skate his belt like to win and one time the puck. So I was like, Patrick, I don't want you to touch the puck until I give it to you, then shoot it. And he ended up scoring. He went 14 goals the year before. They ended up leaving me with 35. So it was really unique over there. And, I mean, me and my wife ended up loving it. I'll give you one quick one about my wife. Is we rolled up there. They pay for everything in the apartments. And they give you a car. And my you know, my wife's from, from Denver and, and my little guy. So we roll up. And for the first month, they wouldn't take our garbage. My wife's like, what is going on? They won't take our garbage. Our garbage is piled up in front of our apartment and people are looking and saying what the heck but she's getting so mad and i'm like what the heck so we found that we asked one of our neighbors who was finished i guess you have to buy a sticker and put a sticker on each garbage bag before they take it so the first month was a little <laughs> bit of rough but we had all these garbage piled in front of our house but the first month was rough but after we got acclimated to it it was a really good life experience for me and wife and we really enjoyed our experience over the great people and the hockey's really good and really fast you end up, uh, you end up coming back. I and we might go back to your playing career a bit, but I want to ask you about yeah, no um, your brief coaching career with the Denver Cutthroats. Two years, you know, based yeah. on looking at 
my my lot of research here is looking at hockey DB, and that's about it. But your records are pretty good. You you went to the finals in your second year, and then it just it kind of came to an end. Did you ever think uh, about getting back? I won coach coaching? of the year too. You got to get straight. I won coach of the year, and I put. <laughs> I 20, wasn't on the lead prospect. Not a big deal. And big deal. And I put twenty five guys in the HL. I broke the record on that in two eighteen months. When you actually looking at this too, apparently you had uh, Ontario Reign video coach Brad Schuler play a playoff game for you in the second year. Which there you go. Yeah, and so yeah, one, you developed one, over the organization. You'll, you'll love this one year. One year, um, uh, I was affiliated with the Avalanche, so we had eight guys called up that because uh, they had a uh, injury problem. So my starting lineup one day was I had two bus drivers, a milkman, and two farmers were my starting lineup. They didn't play hockey in five years. That was my starting lineup one night. A milkman, two farmers, and a bus driver. It was great. <laughs> Did you win? Uh, we, we ended up winning because I, cause I knew yeah. we played, we were playing, we were playing, uh, one of the top teams, which Kevin McCollum was coaching, but we ended up winning. I wouldn't let them in a defensive zone. I just made them stand inside the house. So they all <laughs> shot us 62, 62 to eight, but we got one lucky bounce. It went down to one, one, nothing. I wouldn't let them, I, when they came, offenses ought to do whatever, but in the defensive zone, I said, just protect the house. So they were on the outside, they just kept shooting. 62 shots they had to eat, and we ended up winning one nothing. Oh, coach. I'm surprised you, know. you didn't just lace them up and hop out there. I mean, seriously, <laughs> you might not get away with it. <laughs> I'm not a good on the part. But back to the, back to the coaching, sorry. Yeah. You know, I, I, you guys, everyone knows I, I really struggle when I retire with the anxiety, depression. You know, I, we, we all do that. You know, nobody really likes to talk about it, but for two or three years, I'd, a rough two or three years there, like like most athletes, you know, we we really love to play hockey. We really love sports. I, I couldn't get a bed for a couple months. They just I never know emotions could get you like that, you know. And then I learned kind of what was going on, and I got some help, which was awesome. But from there, so I was laying on the couch, and you know, just didn't know what to do with my life. Lost, you know. I played twenty years. I had a beautiful wife, beautiful kids. You know, I had some money in the bank, and. You know, every man's dream retired at 37 years old. But for someone like me, it really wasn't because I needed purpose. So I'm laying on the couch, and out of nowhere, I get a phone call from uh, this guy named uh, John Hayes, who's CEO of Ball Corporation, who does all the mugs. A really nice man. And one of his buddies was calling and said, would you like to help me start a professional hockey team? And I'm like, sure. You know, I, I don't, I'm not that edu- – I only have grade 12 education. I only played hockey. I knew nothing about da 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 he said, we're starting it next week. We're starting the hockey team, the Central Hockey League. You're going to be the coach of the team. I'm like, okay. And you, so I ended up, within 18 months, I became the coach, the GM, and the president. 18 months, we went right to the finals, and we built a really good product, which, you know, helped me a lot in, in, in the Kings organization because I used to do, you know, ticketing. I'd, I'd go from running the power play, going to the dressing room, yelling at the guys who are not running the power play. Then I have to run down and tell the Zamboni driver he didn't, Cut the ice well enough. Then I have to go upstairs and do a quick meeting with a corporate sponsorship and ticket. Then I have to make someone was singing the national anthem. Then I have to make sure someone's uh, <laughs> uh, the mascot. Then I have to run back and tell them who was starting for the period. So it, it was a whirlwind, and you know I didn't know I had to go in corporate corporate sponsorship meeting. So it was definitely a whirlwind, and it, it, I learned so much through that. And I really appreciate that they did give me the opportunity. But I really did love coaching. I think coaching's really fun and, and and rewarding but maybe one day i'll do it again but in that situation it was really tough because i had to do so much so i didn't really get to enjoy just coaching every day you had to do so much but i really enjoyed it and, and a guy I used to play the kings one of my best friends who was one of my ahl teammates one of the best guys i played with brad smith he played for the kings but he's a legend in the ahl as well but 
my first year he played for me and then my second year he coached with me and, and I really enjoyed that experience with him but it, it's been a crazy run for sure so when I was uh coming out of college my senior year I was trying to get a broadcast job anywhere I could I was emailing every ECHL AHL CHL team and the cutthroats were one of the ones that got back to me and it was Brad Smith and we were having these great conversations yeah. And uh, I think they were going to offer me like 50 bucks a game to come out there and call yeah. games. And I, I was a <laughs> yeah. New England guy. I was like, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll be a bartender and just like, I'll call the games. It'll be a way to get in. And then all of a sudden, yeah. they, they weren't reaching back. And we were having these great conversations. And then uh, finally, I think Brad Emo is like, uh, yeah, we're folding. So <laughs> we're, we're <not> <laughs> well, that's where that's it happened. We, you probably would have worked our second year because my, my third year. Well, what happened is the Central Hockey League was going to merge with the ECHL. So. You know, we can talk to our owner and they, we made the right decision and not going. And that's what I said. He's one of my best buddies and that, we had it, we ran it really well there. You know, I had the affiliation with the Avalanche and my owner was an amazing owner and he loved the game. He, he, and we had these great apartments and I had a great setup there, but it was a, it was a good first experience on the other side. I, I learned a lot more about how hard, you know, the ticket sales people would work and the president works and Moscow works and Zamboni driver works and, you know, the people who sell hamburgers and hot dogs and, and the maintenance people, when you're, you know, you're as a player, you you don't realize what it takes to put on the game so you guys can, so we can play the game you love. But I learned a lot about the other side, and there's a lot of good people out there that don't quite have the talent to play in the NHL, but, but love hockey just as much as us. Cam and I both spent some time in the ECHL, so you kind of get to learn, you know, those roles where you literally have to do everything, but it makes you appreciate even more, you know, the opportunities that we have now with, Cam and I with the rain and yourself with the Kings. And how did you eventually transition, you know, from coaching into your current role here uh, with the Kings, where you're kind of focused on developing the Kings of 10 years from now? Yeah, you know, I've always had a really good relationship with Luke and Rob. They're probably two of the best teammates I ever played with, especially at the NHL level. And, you know, uh, uh, Luke's known I've always been great with kids and have, have lots of energy and you know and, and we've had this great relationship with me and Luke and Rob and I respect those guys so much so you know they, they had this they, they were they really wanted to transition into growing hockey a little bit more and, and developing their brand and, and use hockey more uh, around the world and, and through Southern California so that year that the, that the team did folded you know I, I reached out to Luke and he did get back to me and, and then they ended up making a position for me, which was awesome. I really enjoy my job now. I get to, you know, go all over the place and teach kids hockey, the sport that I, I really love. I, I feel it's it's part of your job as an NHL. If you ever make it to that level, that you're supposed to get back to the game, and I really enjoy it. I, I get to go all over. You know, we have that we had that academy in Beijing. We're working it. We're working on a few more things. I get to do eight or nine camps, help fantasy camp. You know, I get to be an alumni guy and help with uh, all the alumni guys. So. I enjoy every minute of it. It's like a dream job for me. I, I, I get to be around hockey. I get to play hockey. I get to teach hockey. I get to, you know, tell all my old stories that are always over exaggerated all the time. And, you know, people tend to listen. So I, I'm really fortunate about the job I have. And, and I, I'm thankful that, you know, Luke and, Luke and Rob have been so great to me. The Kings do an excellent job, it seems, of. Like a lot of teams talk about it, but the Kings talk about once you're a king, you want to be a king for life. Like I know Luke always relates it to we want to draft the guys that are going to get a king's tattoo on their arm, kind of someone like that. Do you think that that resonates around the league where you look at all these former kings, guys like yourself? I think we mentioned Glenn Murray earlier. I forget. I forget. Um, 
does that resonate around the league? Do other teams, do other older players notice that like, Hey, the Kings are people who once you um, do your time in the organization on the ice, they're going to take care of you after the fact. Yeah. And then obviously that's credit to, you know, Dan, Dan Beckerman and Mr. Anschutz and Kelly Cheeseman. Those guys are all on the business side, you know, so they have to sign off on that stuff with Luke and, and they do a good job of understanding that it's a family when you first come in, you know, and, once you come in, you're, you're, you're a family for life. But I think some some teams do a much better job than, than other teams. But I think it's a real important, you know, especially this day and age, uh, the players don't don't get in the community as much, which which is tough because it's such a business now, and you know it, it's tough on your day off to, to go in the, to go in the community and then have to expect to perform the next day in front of twenty thousand people. So I think the teams that do take advantage of alumni guys, uh, you know, uh, as much as you know people like to be around the the guys, the current and still players, you know, they're, they're focused and, and they're not as fun as, as the alumni guys because you can speak our mind and stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of good personalities, but they're, they're reserved, which they should be. That's their, that's their job to, to be out there and performing every day. And, and, and the, the alumni guys are, you know, we're allowed to be us. We're allowed to go out and tell stories. They, they've got a lot of guys, you know, that, that fantasy camp that we do is, if people have never done it, you should 100% sign up, sign up when we get a chance to, to get it going again after this this pandemic that's going on. It's an amazing experience. A lot of guys come in, you get to hang out with guys for four or five days and you tell stories and, and you get to see the true, true players, you know, as you go through it and you, and you play, you don't, you don't get to show your true personality off because you know, there's, a, there's a lot of roadblocks in the way, which, which this should be, which you're supposed to be, but the alumni guys really get to put a place. In. And I think part of our, our, our organization with Luke and Kelly Cheesy have done it. We have a hockey development um, uh, a team where Chris Karate and Corby Ports and Marissa and, and and G and Jordan. So we have a team that's directly involved in developing hockey for the LA Kings. We do ball hockey. We do we did high school hockey. We do camps. So our sole job is to is to grow the game of hockey around the world for the Kings. And, you know our our department is our department is so awesome. You know my boss Chris Karate and then Corby Ports. And, we enjoy every single second of it and, and we really enjoyed it. So I'm glad that all, all these guys have, you know, put some eggs in, in the alumni guys basket and let us run with the hockey. Last one I had for you, Army, is uh, this year's AHL All-Star Classic in Ontario. Uh, pretty cool experience for everyone. Uh, you were honored for your time in the AHL. Uh, told some great stories at the inauguration. Uh, gave me some laughs early in the morning after a long day the night before, so we appreciated that. But what was that <laughs> moment moment like for you to, you know, kind of be honored for your for your time in the AHL? It was it was truly amazing and especially being honored under the Kings umbrella. You know, you know, both both of those leagues have been incredible to me. Obviously the other Kings are you know, I, I like they said I, I would get if I had any tattoos, I would tattoo the Kings to my to my heart. But I don't I don't have tattoos in my body. And the HO, you know, it, it made me as a hockey player. You know, not many people can say that. I don't know if anyone in the HO in a hundred years, or you know, only a, a couple of us that have won all five major awards in that league. I, and I got to win all five major awards in that league with some great teammates and some great coaches. So it was really nice to represent the LA Kings as well as. Being honored in the HO, I got this. Rob Stauber was the other guy, and he was my old teammate. You know, Denny Hambell, and Chris Taylor. A lot of the old guys, for some reason, are, are working in the HL now. So it was really cool to see some of my, the guys I used to play with and and be honored and, and get put in the Hall of Fame as well. You know, being on the bench with some of the new generation kids, it, it's really cool how they 
they express themselves now and with all the social media and all of them taking pictures on the on the bench. That would I played in uh, three All Star H All Star games and if we ever had a cell phone on the bench, we probably wouldn't have played a shift. So it's crazy how <laughs> far the, the promotions have come and you know how they get to have a little bit more fun than than, than we did on the bench and, and on the ice and you know watching watching Ferk shoot that hundred mile nine mile an hour slap shot. I was right on the ice there. I mean that was an incredible moment to see someone like that. He's another guy who's a hardworking guy, loves to play hockey. The Kings have done a, a, a good job of rewarding him. But just to watch him take that snapshot and see all the AHL guys with the joy on their face, you know, to, to see that they get challenged a little bit in the NHL it was really cool. And it was such a moving moment. And like I said, I'm thankful to Mr. Uh, thank you for the AHL for giving the opportunity and as well as the other Kings. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be a lifetime, lifetime of memories for sure. It's a lot of fun in that shot. We'll certainly... Uh, keep it on the minds for for a long time. That was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. Army. You could see when it went out to stick to it. Just it just took off like Al McGinnis. I remember he used to have the block shots from Al McGinnis. It looked like the same speed as his. It was yeah, except Al McGinnis was using like a two by four and Martin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. using a piece and of it, rubber. <laughs> and he would shoot at your face if you get blocked in front of it on purpose. <laughs> sure, <laughs> a different game maybe. Um, yeah, for sure. Army, really appreciate you coming on, and uh, hopefully you're staying healthy out there, and we'll uh, we'll be talking to you soon, and hopefully we'll be watching hockey soon, even though it won't be the Kings. Um, it's just going to be nice to have something hopefully coming back on. Perfect. I really appreciate you guys speaking to me, and, and you guys stay safe, and anytime you want, I love talking hockey, and I, I love this great sport, so thank you very much for having me. Thanks again to Derek Armstrong. For coming on for army we uh really appreciated him i love having those you know we, we've had glenn murray like i love having um the king's development staff they it's very deep it's very intricate and we could have those guys on all day and you'll never you know we i mean we'll, we, you'll get the same answer from some guys but every guy has their own method and their own you know what their focus is so we could have those guys on week after week and and the interviews wouldn't get stale and army is just such a good you know success story from the AHL that we work in a guy who came in, did everything he could in the AHL went on to have a nice NHL career. You know, he works, you know, with a lot of the youth hockey players uh, in this area. So uh, a really great guest loved having army on and, you know, good, good piece of the Kings organization. So you may be thinking to yourself, and I think I'm doing a pretty good job of enunciating. You may be thinking like, does Cam have marbles in his mouth today? What's going on? I would pay this guy to talk. Yes, seriously. I went to the orthodontist this morning because I have invested and I I got these clear aligners and it's it's not the major brand you're thinking about. It's some other one. But I uh, I I was like, I just got to fix my teeth. Now's the time I got to do it. I remember looking at it three years ago. I was like, I whatever. I don't feel like doing this. So I was like, this is a good idea. This is a good time. If someone's going to pay me money to be on TV one day, I should probably have decent teeth. So I figured it was time to go do this. I immediately am regretting this. This is the most painful thing I've ever had in my mouth. Now, I'm going to take them out for future episodes. Um, but today I figured I got to get through a day of not taking these out. I'm supposed to wear them at all times except when I eat. And I'm not eating right now. So I, I'm just getting through it. But anybody who decides to go correct their teeth, I'm going to say just stop. Just just deal with it for the rest of your life. Now I'm in it. Now, you know, I've paid the down payment. I got to just deal with it. But this is horrible. Very painful. No need to tooth shame. What's that? You don't need to tooth shame. I mean, you you don't need to fix them. No, no. I just felt like I needed to just do it. So 
this is this is where I'm at. I'm going to be using a lot of Look, Adderall. I, I've been there for a different reason. So a few years back. So when I was a kid, I chipped my front tooth while rollerblading. Uh, a couple dental surgeries later, it was a fake tooth, lasted for about 15 years until a few years back when I broke it, carrying some stuff up the stairs. I had to balance it. I was trying to like, and I broke the tooth off and it got infected. And it was the most painful thing I think I've ever had where I had an infection like up my tooth in my gums. So like anytime, just if you weren't perfectly still, it just throbbed and the the medication I got didn't work. Had to go get another one. My face swole, like swelled up massively. So mouth pain is it's it's tough. So these these That's hockey rough. players who pick a puck there and lose a tooth, they they are gutting it out. That is not you know something that doesn't hurt. It hurts a lot. Yeah, it really does. There's a piece of me that just wants somebody to just rip all these out now and just put brand new ones in that are straight, and then I never have to worry about this. But here I am. Next twenty weeks. I might be in a bad mood every once in a while, so be ready for it. Now we know. Now we know why. Um, before we go to our next subject, there has been a hundred degree weather around here, left and right. Call All Pro Plumbing, Heating, Air, and Electrical to stay as cool as the Ontario rain. Visit AllPro247.com. That's All Pro, and then the number is two four seven. Don't wait until your AC breaks. Call All Pro. For your $49 AC check, All Pro Plumbing, Heating, Air, and Electrical, visit allpro247.com. Here's what I want to do. Here's here's um here's the situation. A lot of you listen to All the King's Men. Be my guest. Go right ahead. I'd rather listen to the Rainy Day podcast twice, but some of you like Jesse Cohen. Some of you want to listen to him. I don't have a problem with Jesse Cohen, but, you know, the all the uh, made it seem like I do, didn't it? Um, you did. the, Heat it up. The, the Rainy Day podcast. I mean, hey, I'd love to create a little podcast drama around here on the LA Kings Audio Network. And now that, you know, Fox and Faust are taking their hiatus, I'm sure they'll be back. My attention turns to the All the Kings Men podcast. So Jesse's going to give you all the information you need on who the Kings might draft, who they should draft, who they shouldn't draft. Jesse's going to talk about that, and he's going to do a very good job of it. He knows his stuff when it comes to that. We don't need to talk about that at all in this podcast. Once they draft guys, we'll talk about them for five minutes like we always do, and then we'll never speak of it again. What I think we should do, Zach, and you can stop me if you think this is a bad idea, I think we're going to create a rainy day podcast bingo card for what happens at the draft. So it could be like things like the Kings draft a guy from Sweden or the Kings trade one of their third-round picks or the Kings trade for a – seventh round but you know like little things like that maybe you know we see luke robitaille on tv um for the for the second overall or who who else get you know do we see on tv it could be things like that i want to make a bingo card and i don't know what the prize will be maybe it'll just be something fun for all of you maybe it's a adult beverage game at home or something like that but that's my thought um i so that's all i have for you now i think by next week I'm going to have a little concrete information. So if you listen to this, you want to drop us a note on Twitter, you've got a suggestion, then by all means. Um, that's where I'm at right now. Look, 31, uh, I don't know what this fraction is, but 31, 30 seconds of, of drafts are boring as heck, right? Your mm-hmm. team picks, the remainder of the draft is extremely boring. This would kind of keep me interesting, like interested, I think, during the draft. Like you have a bingo card, you just wonder, like, when could the Kings make a move? Am I going to 
check off a box here? Are they going to make all three of their second round picks? Are they going to trade one? Are they going to trade two? Are they going to move up? Are they going to move down? Kings have so much flexibility that I might actually be very interested in the whole program, knowing that, hey, maybe I could check off a box in my rainy day podcast bingo card. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I think we need to do. Maybe it's one bingo card. Maybe we send around a few. I don't know how we do that. Maybe we just do one just for the sake of having it. But uh, I don't want to Photoshop all these bingo cards. No, I don't. Either. Well, I don't, I don't have that kind we of do. We know a graphic designer. We've talked about him before on the show. Regular. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe we can get McElroy to make what? I mean, if you think our listeners uh, with all the different we'd probably have to do about 3000 variations for people who'd request these cards. At least, um, yeah. I'm not a mathematician. So, I'm not sure how many combinations there are of 16 boxes, but we should probably do that many to be safe. Well, maybe if we do just one card, we could do a five by five with a free space, obviously. So, yeah, we'll we'll get back to you. There will be some sort of bingo card, though, um, for the draft. And we'll talk a bit more about it next week. Maybe some, because you can get into what they talk about on the broadcast, too. Like maybe do, does Ontario rain get mentioned? That's, that's, a, good not, box. Right? that's so, a good box. <laughs> but I hope it does. Um, something like that. So we does the rainy day podcast get mentioned? That's right? that's the rainy like, day uh, podcast gets mentioned on NHL Network's coverage of the that's draft. Pro- and that's got to be a pretty good prop bet. Free season tickets for everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, just kidding. Don't hold me to that. So we'll have something for you there. We'll think about it. And finally, I want to close with another point. I've got you know an issue. We have been doing these podcasts for you. All summer long, we've been really having a good time with it. But I'm going to be honest. I'm an honest guy. I always have been. I always will be, Zach. So we need some more things to talk about. So we got to do a mailbag. So I'm putting out the bat signal, the rain signal. Um, You'd be shocked with how long it takes us to come up with material for a 10-minute segment. It would baffle you the amount that we spend far more time thinking about segments than we do actually doing them. So mailbag next week i'd love for it to cover both segments anything you want it doesn't have to be hockey related if you listen to the podcast enough you know that by now um so anything you want you got a question about what type of sneakers zach wears then ask it and we'll spend some time on it so i'm putting it out we will send it out on twitter too but just reply to me or zach or the rain uh, account and we'll we'll answer them I, anything you want. You want you want advice on, you know, the best site to book flights on. We'll talk about it. So anything you want out there. Yeah, you want to know who our favorite rain players are to watch? Then we'll talk about that, too. So it can be hockey related. Um, so we need it. So I'm hoping it can cover two segments, Zach, that would, we need a, a decent amount of questions. So I'm putting the onus on all of you. Please help us out and give us some material. Don't make me call Cam next Wednesday and ask him what we're going to talk about on this podcast. He's going to say, I don't know. I'm going to say, I don't know either. We don't want to do that. It would just be nice to have one week of of mailbags. We have a lot of listeners, a lot of very in-tune listeners. I think we're going to get some questions. I think we're going to have more questions than time in two segments. I hope so. I mean, you put it out to the the Rain Insiders or the, the LA Kings Insiders, you probably yeah. have thousands. I see those comments sometimes. I don't read all the comments. You want unrelated? It'll be like ten thousand comments. You want unrelated? There's your there's your audience. Put it on there. You you got the keys to that to that castle. Get in there. Um, but really, we we need. I need your help. That's that's my that's my plea. I'm looking at my lineup here today. I have I have the. Uh, 
aligners, bingo, mailbag for round two. All right, guys, we're running out of stock, and I want to keep doing these every week. And we'll Talking be able to talk about hockey. What's that? Talking about orthodontics. Seriously, <laughs> this is where we're at. We did a Kentucky Derby horse segment last week. This is where we're at. So we need you. Um, we can talk about hockey for a few more weeks, but then we're going to have a lull. Um, we're we're going to get a bunch of new guests lined up and slated soon. So at least you're going to have that coming down the pipe. But these opens and closes that I know none of you skip through to just listen to the guests. That's a big part of the show. So uh, maybe we'll make a new game coming up soon. I, I, I've uh, I've been slacking on that for you so I can get there for you. But you got to help me with this mailbag and then we'll get back to even. All right. Fair enough. Good. All right. With that, we will talk to you next week. Have a good one, Zach.